Inflation is getting higher for poorer households compared with better off households. Rising fuel prices and even higher food costs are a burden that many South Africans simply cannot afford. everybody and welcome to a new season of Equals, season five in fact. And for those of you joining us fresh, we're an international podcast that wants to reimagine our economy one episode at a time. I'm your co-host Nadia. Hey everyone, this is Nabil. It's so good to be back on Equals and let's get this season started right away. You heard the news clips at the start of the episode about today's cost of living crisis. Today we're telling a story that I think hasn't been told enough about what's causing this crisis. And let's say it's a crisis as well for billions of people that isn't going away. Just this last couple of weeks, we've seen protests from Argentina to South Africa to across Europe. And Nadia, I know we saw that clip earlier today of a school lunch worker who can't face going to school as she knows that she'll have to turn kids away from meals that they can no longer afford. I think that tells us everything about this moment. It really does. It was heartbreaking, man, that the longer that interview went on. And so, yes, we'll, we'll be asking how we got here. Why are things getting so expensive? And specifically, our question for today is, what on earth is happening in the boardrooms of some of the world's biggest multinational companies? And what does that mean for the products that we buy every day in grocery stores and at stalls right across the globe? Absolutely. And these are extraordinary times. Like we read the other day, the US companies, for example, have got to their widest profit margins since 1950. It's fascinating. I mean, fascinating is a very kind way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we can call it alarming, disturbing, mor morally wrong. There you go. Perverse, enraging. I know you don't like to be offensive. But it's okay in this context. <laughs> and and look, it's it's very clear as well that look, not everyone is hurting, and we do need to get to the bottom of this. That's true, and that's why today we're leading off by talking with Dr. Lindsay Owens. She leads the Groundwork Collaborative, which is this super dynamic and influential organization right here in Washington D.C. that's shined a torch on what companies are up to. And Lindsay herself formerly worked as an advisor to the well-known U.S. politician, Senator Elizabeth Warren. Lindsay works at Georgetown University. Honestly, just solid life goals, if you ask me. I'm very, very impressive. Just like, just like yourself, Nadia. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and look, we'll, we'll wrap up the episode as well with our brilliant, and I'll add, fearless colleague, Irit Tamir. And, you know, she's regularly sat across the table, pushed companies on their policies, and she'll give us an inside track on this issue. And look, this is just the first episode of our season. We're going to keep coming back to this issue, this cost of living crisis, and hear from people in different countries being hit hard by the crisis. So lots to look forward to here. Absolutely. And we'll do what we do on Equals. We'll get to the big inequality questions of our time as we go through the season. But for now, let's get to the interview with Lindsay. Let's do it. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being with us today on the podcast. I um, I feel like it's extra special because we just heard you on the John Stewart podcast uh, recently, and so obviously super jealous. And you're going to have a way better time over here. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I know you're busy, so thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Lindsay, welcome. Now we've got some serious questions to ask about inflation, about what corporations are up to. 
But let me start by asking about you and about the Groundwork Collaborative that you lead. How do you explain what you do, what Groundwork's all about? How do you explain it to, say, your apolitical uncle at the Owens Family Barbecue? (laughs) Um, I I mostly don't, but um, I'll give it a, I'll give it a try here. You know, the Groundwork Collaborative is an economic think tank and advocacy organization based out of Washington, D.C. But what we're doing is working to build an economy that works for the workers and families who make our economy go. You know, we believe the economy is something we all create through our labor, through our consumption, and through the rules that are put in place by our democratically elected governments. And so right now, that means we're really focused on things that matter to to workers and families and consumers, and that's inflation and cost of living. Why don't we get into that a little bit about what we're experiencing? And maybe you can just start us off by helping us understand why are things getting so expensive at the grocery store? There are a number of different reasons for this, um, and there's really a constellation of kind of a perfect storm in a way of, of problems right now that are leading to these price hikes. But I think we can break them down ultimately into three pieces. One piece is we're absolutely dealing with supply shortages. Some of that is coming from the war in Ukraine, which has um, you know reduced the amount of oil and also impacted food prices. Some of that's coming from COVID closures, policies in Asia, where a lot of goods are are made, and there are various COVID policies that have slowed down production. Some of that's coming from, you know, domestic slowdowns. So supply is a huge piece of this. The other component is, of course, the demand side. You know, this is really about purchasing power, about the amount of money folks have to spend, you know, demand, of course, and, and increased demand is, is an important piece of the inflation story. And, you know, depending on the study you look at, that can be anywhere from maybe about a percent of the, of the inflation. But there's a third component, which Groundwork has been really focused on. And this is effectively the power component. Uh, economists like to call this the markup. This is the amount of money that corporations charge above and beyond their costs. But that markup component has really soared during this inflationary moment. And what that tells us is companies are not just passing along those rising costs that are coming from, you know, sort of supply and demand fundamentals. They're going for more. They're putting extra on top of that. They're gilding the lily. Um, And that gilding the lily at the large scale that we're seeing it is also contributing to the higher prices that we're seeing. Markups have been well above historic averages. So over the last decade, markups were about 56%. Um, In 2021, as we saw prices rising globally, markups were 72%. So that's a pretty huge increase in that markup component. Now, Lindsay, I'd love to deep dive on this third aspect that you brought us to, the power dynamic on what companies are up to. Now, imagine, Lindsay, you're now in the boardroom of one of America's biggest global companies. Imagine that you're invisible there. I'm keen to understand from you, from the research that your organization has done, what's the scene in that boardroom? What's the story here? What are they saying to each other? Yeah, well, first of all, we don't have to imagine this. These earnings calls are publicly available. So you can listen in, you can you know, you can call in and listen in. You can listen to the recording if you don't make it live, and you can read the transcripts. The transcripts of these earnings calls are available online through a number of 
um, publicly available websites. So at Groundwork, we did. We listened in on hundreds of these, the largest publicly traded companies and the Fortune 500 in the U.S. Many of these are multinational corporations. And, you know, we started that work in the summer of 2021. And what really kind of struck us is while headlines were you know, starting to get quite scary. Prices were rising. Consumers were really feeling the squeeze. CEOs were crowing to their investors about how great inflation was for business. And it was just really stunning, the disconnect here between the pain consumers were feeling and the big wins on Wall Street um, and, and the sort of delight that CEOs um, were able to bring to their investors in these quarterly earnings calls. And what we heard is basically two things. The first was CEOs being sort of like a little surprised at what they were able to get away with. The fact that prices were going up sort of universally was giving companies a lot of cover to take big markups. Um, they didn't have to worry about um, consumers feeling sticker shock because they could hide behind the fact that everybody else was doing it. And we even had CEOs literally saying exactly that. So the CEO of Hostess, which is a sort of large snack food brand um, in the United States, said, look, when everybody's doing it, it helps, right? What we also heard as CEOs talking about sort of how far they could take this, saying, look, we are really excited to see that consumers are still purchasing these goods despite our higher prices. That makes us think maybe we should go further still see how far we can push the envelope here. And, you know, they were really crowing about their ability to, you know, they use all these euphemisms to quote unquote, like drive price or take pricing actions, you know, all just sort of like Wall Street speak for price hikes. What What's crazy to me is that they know these are public calls and that there are transcripts that are available to the public. So they're not even ashamed of it or trying to hide it. I mean, I guess that would be worse, but just to, to know that they're proud of this kind of behavior. I mean, it's just kind of ludicrous to think about. You're so right that it seems really shocking that these CEOs would say the quiet part out loud. Um, but if you think a little bit about the incentives that the CEOs have on these earnings calls, you can start to see why um, they don't hold back. Often when they're announcing a big quarter of booming profits, they're also announcing a round of share buyback. Right, uh -huh. they're gonna they're gonna reward those shareholders, and what happens when you get the enthusiasm? Investors are excited about the company. You do the share price, you know, you do the share buybacks. The stock price rises, and a lot of these executives are compensated in stock. Right, so they frequently, and you see this in the data, you know, executives are more likely to sell off their shares after a round of buybacks. Um, wow. So they actually have some skin in the game here. And I think that's one of the reasons they don't hold back. They really have a lot of incentive. It's sort of like a, a kid coming home with a good report card, you know, really selling it up to, to the parents, trying to get an allowance increase right. or, you know, an, an ice cream <laughs> Sunday. You know, they, they don't have a lot of incentive to hold back here. So, yeah, I mean, it is it is really stunning. And also it's, you know, quite normal thing to do to brag about profits and and your your positioning, your pricing power, your market power to your to your investors and to the market analysts who are listening in on these calls, writing headlines, you know, that will be favorable for your company too. Your team read through all these transcripts. What was one of the most offensive or what was the worst offending company? You know, give us some of the give us some of the dirt here. 
the one that just hit me like a ton of bricks recently was, um, it was, you know, a large paint company, um, global paint company brands like Olympic and Glidden. And an analyst asked the CEO, they do a Q and A's on these calls. And the analyst asked the CEO, Hey, it looks like, you know, some of the, some of the raw materials costs may be subsiding. Are you planning on, you know, passing that along to the consumer, passing those savings back along. And the the CEO of this paint company, PPG, jumps to the microphone, right? And says, you know, he's like, I'm going to take that one, not letting the, C, the CFO <laughs> or any of the subordinates take this one, jumps in to take it. And he says, no, we absolutely will not be giving any of that pricing back. Oh my gosh. Um, he says, Consumers have absorbed it, which means, you know, people are paying it. And so there's no reason to go down to that lower price point. And he says our competitors are doing it. You know, it was just this really stunning moment where you realize the laws of gravity don't apply to these guys. They're going to bust their tail to make sure that you, the consumer, are helping them cover rising costs on the way up. As their input costs are going up, they're going to make sure that you more than cover their increased costs. And then when their costs go down, they are in no rush to pass that savings back along to you. And, you know, we're seeing this play out in oil and gas right now. You know, we're seeing that right now in the United States where the, you know, the price of crude has come down significantly over the last month, but the retail savings are still not there. And it was just stunning to see this playing out with PPG and in the paint sector and, you know, pretty clear from the earnings calls that, that a lot of folks are in this position. Um, They're not going to be moving their price points. You know, I can't help but remember those moments during the pandemic when we saw companies like Pfizer and Moderna and really big pharma across the world seizing the opportunity to really make insane profits on vaccines. And it's a reminder really that these companies need little cover as possible to make as much profit as they can. Yeah. I, I'm happy to go through one other example that I think is oh, really of definitely. Funny. I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, this is a this is an important one because it impacts the price of many goods. So, you know, Visa and Mastercard, two of the large credit card companies, um, they control about seventy percent of the credit card payment market. It's important to know that they already benefit from inflation, right? So. They charge these swipe fees, which are basically based on a percentage of the total sales price. So as the sales price goes up, right, because of inflation, as the bottle of Coke and the box of Cheerios cereal goes up in price, even if the swipe fee stays the same, Visa and and MasterCard net more, right? Because you're charging the same percentage fee of a larger ticket price. And, you know, they well know this. The Visa CEO recently told investors on an earnings call you know, this is a quote, historically, inflation has been a positive for us, right? Like our business model um, is set up to do well with inflation. Um, But they are not stopping there. You know, they're sitting back doing nothing and printing more money. Um, And instead, they're going for more. They have decided to add additional fees on. Um, MasterCard recently doubled their um, they call it a digital enablement, enablement fee, um, which just bumps up the cost of every single online transaction. And they're increasing these fees. These really squeeze small businesses, right, who can't really absorb those additional, um, you know, the additional piece that Visa and MasterCard are, are taking. 
Um, and obviously it's getting passed down to consumers broadly, you know, sort of across the goods market. And it's been very good for business. Um, Visa and MasterCard sort of under the cover of inflation, increasing these swipe fees are looking at an additional billion dollars just in 2021. That's just nuts. Um, I, I have to say, maybe it's me being naive or just hoping that the world is a little bit better than than it actually is. But surely there are some companies that, you know, as you were reading through these transcripts, there was some good people trying to do the right thing. I love your optimism, Nadia. I've got to say. <laughs> there, there are a few examples. Um, I'll give you like a, a couple of examples and then a, an important counter example. So, okay. um, you know, there's a, a sort of beverage company in the United States called Arizona Iced Tea. Um, and it's uh, a privately held company, so not publicly traded. And and they sell this sort of large can of like very sweet iced tea for 99 cents. They have for a really long time, and Arizona, you know, the the CEO has not increased the price of the of the ninety nine cent can of iced tea, as he says the the price is on the can, right? Um, but you know, the price of of sugar has gone up, the price of aluminum has gone up, like his raw, you know, his raw materials costs are up, but he hasn't changed the you know, the price of the tea. And we recently saw the Costco CEO sort of saying he was never going to change the price of the like one, $1.50 hot dog. And Costco is this sort of like large sort of warehouse um, right. grocery store um, type company in the United States. And they also have, you know, have food. You can have sort of have a meal there. You know, so we've seen a few examples like that. I mean, they tend to be actually kind of gimmicky, right? Because the truth is Costco is selling a lot more than hot, hot dogs and their costs, um, you know, they are pricing the other goods um, at that higher price point. And Arizona iced tea sells a lot more products. You know, they have alcoholic tea beverages and things like that. Um, in addition to that can of tea, but, you know, we have seen some folks keeping, you know, keeping those prices down. And, and, and also, of course, it's important to note there definitely are companies where rising costs are eating into their margins. Um, so particularly as the cost of energy has soared, you know, not all companies have been able to pass along their full costs and then some. Um, that's not to say they're doing that, you know, out of the goodness of their own heart. Um, the, the market dynamics just won't allow for it. But the, the counterexample that I think is important and shows the kind of dynamics at play here are that in sort of late 2021, as prices you know, had started to rise, executives at Walmart and Target, two of the large big box stores in the U.S., um, told their investors that they were going to try to keep prices low, um, that they wanted to, you know, maintain their brand loyalties, low cost options. And they also felt like it was a potential to pick up market share because the small guys would not be able to keep their prices low. Oh, and they might be able to snuff out some of the competition. Um, and investors were not having it. And there were just savage sell-offs of the Walmart and Target stock. Um, and it was really a wake-up call, I think, for the big companies and for Wall Street, where they were saying, look, this is a moment where you can increase prices. And as investors, we expect you to. We wow. want to see the profits that can come from these high prices. And they were not interested in the target Walmart play, um, you know, to either pick up market share or or maintain that brand loyalty. Um, and, you know, that's a pretty stunning indictment of our shareholder capitalism in the United States. Absolutely. 
So, so let's say we hear you, Lindsay, right? We've heard the examples. It's very clear to me that corporate greed has been such a major driver of inflation. You've also been very nuanced in the reasons about all the things that are driving inflation. But at the same time, not everyone agrees, right? There are still some people explaining inflation far more as a result of COVID, as a result of the war in Ukraine and so on, and being about those things and, and not corporate greed. These are many people I know, many people we talk to. I'm keen to know, how do you respond to them? You know, these CEOs are bound by law in these earnings calls um, to tell the truth to their investors. They can't misrepresent material information, being information about profits and revenues and things that investors need to know to make smart decisions about which companies to invest in. The fact that you need, you know, these CEOs need to tell the truth on these earnings calls, you know, suggested to us we should really believe them. Um, we should believe <laughs> what they're telling us about their pricing actions. And it was showing up in the data. And I think there's more and more acknowledgement that this is an important part of the price increases we're seeing right now. And do we think this is the entire story? Of course not. The war in Ukraine is absolutely playing an enormous role, particularly in food and energy prices. COVID is, of course, a big piece of this. And of course, there is some excess, you know, what economists call excess demand, which is code for us having too much money. You know, there is some increased demand in the economy as well. Um, the job market, particularly in the United States, is very strong. All of these things are playing a role, but to kind of miss or willfully ignore or dismiss the role of pricing power and corporate power and these markups, I think is to miss a really important part of the current context of this moment and also to sideline a set of solutions that are quite powerful and pro-worker and pro-consumer instead of just relying on sort of very draconian um, interest rate hikes we can also supplement that with price gouging legislation and, and antitrust as well. So I think this is absolutely a part of it. It's showing up in the in the aggregate data. It's showing up in new empirical studies. It's showing up in the earnings calls, and it behooves us to pay attention to it. Now, I can imagine there's many, many big policy solutions to really take on this kind of behavior. I'm less interested in a 10-point plan, but but keen to hear from you, Lindsay, What's a big one or two things that need to be done to rein in this kind of corporate greed that we're seeing? Uh, three things. Enforcing those laws that are already on the books and being aggressive there. Like where we think some of this behavior rises to the level of collusion, let's take it on. Let's send a signal, um, a deterrent. Let's do the federal price gouging statute. I also think this is a time where an excess profits tax makes a ton of sense. A number of countries have pursued various forms of excess profits tax. We've had in the United States an excess profits tax on the books um, during wartime before and other periods of um, of transition. But you know, when when companies are effectively seeing windfall profits, you know, sort of through no fault of their own, right? They haven't. You know, they haven't put out an innovative new project or new product that can command a higher price. Um, they haven't sort of, you know, made their their um, you know work more efficient, and so they've lowered their costs, and therefore they've kept the same price, but are bringing in bigger margins. Um, you know, when you're basically getting this type of profit because of um, supply issues, the war in Ukraine. Um, you know, COVID closures of a semiconductor plant in the case of auto manufacturers in the United States, um, you know, really through no virtue of your own, just just sitting back and getting that extra money, 
it does really make sense, I think, for the government to take a piece of the excess. And and the way that that is helpful is because, you know, if you're a company, it's not that much fun to price gouge. It's not that lucrative to price gouge if the winnings are shipped to the Treasury Department, right? Um, and so I think where there's pure excess profits, we should take a look at an excess profits tax. Absolutely. Lindsay, I guess I just want to ask as a consumer, you know, let's say I'm in a Costco, I'm in a Walmart, or I'm in a Carrefour, and I'm a thoughtful consumer wanting to help uh, play my part to shut this this whole thing down. And I hate getting a bad deal anyway. Um, what can I do as a consumer? Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think this is a problem that can be solved sort of like one coupon clipper at a time. Um this is a problem that really predates even the pandemic. The fragility of our supply chains, the lack of diversity and redundancy in our economy, you know, in the United States, the hollowing out of the manufacturing class. So we're dependent on foreign goods and can't make anything here ourselves. All of that, the, you know, the concentration we talked about, extremely concentrated industries, all of that has set the stage for this moment. And, you know, our economy has has broken um, and the fault lines are, are quite visible um, to all. And I think it really behooves us to think of this as a systemic problem and to tackle it with systemic solutions, um, tax policy, antitrust policy, and other changes to our economy that will really help get us on the right footing again and build a more sustainable, resilient economy that works for all of us. Um, I think that's going to be the best defense against rising prices and the really insidious impacts of corporate power on our economy more broadly. I really appreciate your clarity, Lindsay. The temptation is there, right, to bring in the coupons, but as you say, it's about systemic solutions to systemic problems. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for being with us today and for helping us understand the role that uh, corporates and corporate greed are playing in, in why the prices at grocery stores are going up so much. It's really helped clarify a lot of things for us and for our listeners. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. It was lovely to talk with you both. Thanks so much, Lindsay. And and Nadia, I think we should we should go find an Arizona iced tea, I think, is, is my conclusion. <laughs> Absolutely. Take, take care, Lindsay. Thank you. Well, that was some interview, right? What, uh, gosh, where do we even begin? What's your biggest takeaway, Nabil? It was a great interview, Nadia. I think my biggest takeaway is that these high prices that we're seeing at the grocery stores across the world, really, they're not inevitable. It reminds us it isn't some force of nature, but decisions are being made by investors, by executives that impact the lives of people right around the world. That's right. And, and I'm so excited that we have Irit Tamer with us, our own colleague from Oxfam America, to help us break this all down. Irit, great to have you with us. My pleasure. So, Eric, you and your team, I mean, you've been tracking behavior of many of these giant companies, right? From Amazon to Pfizer, you've seen things up close, you know, had conversations with executives and, and you know, even shareholders, perhaps. What are they doing differently compared to, let's say, the past decade or so? Is there something extra unethical about the behavior we're witnessing in today's environment? Well, yeah, I think there is, because just as the world was down for the count, with COVID, companies chose to take advantage and capitalize 
on consumers, workers, communities. And they're doing the same thing now with inflation. And at the same time, they were also increasing their rhetoric about stakeholder capitalism and doing more for all these stakeholders Mm. and sustainability and philanthropy. So they're talking one way and really walking another way. You know, I guess what I keep thinking is, as Lindsay was speaking and she was, you know, talking about how companies are putting up these prices, it felt very much like we're being taken advantage of as consumers. And um, it sounds almost obvious when I think about this question, but are companies constantly taking advantage of us to this extent? Well, I think we've created a system in which shareholder primacy dominates the narrative. And it dominates the model. And what that means is that corporations will do everything to ensure that shareholders are the winners in this model. And that, unfortunately, is at the expense of all their other stakeholders, their workers, those in the supply chain, the communities from which uh, they're drawing resources or doing business in, and their consumers. And I'm dying to know, like, you know, you will often have these conversations. You'll sit across the table with senior people across companies. What's the kind of response that you get? Well, it's interesting because they will absolutely say that they are for having workers have living wages, for their right to unionize, for good labor conditions. And they will really put it on quote, the enabling environment that exists in that country and their suppliers. They will not see their role in driving that exploitation through pricing, through contracting, the way they do their sourcing, and most importantly, the way they lobby governments around the world. What for you is a top thing that should be done to rein in corporate greed in your view? Well, I mean, obviously, I would agree with everything Lindsay said and then some. Um, Excess profits tax would certainly help the situation right now. But long term, we need to rein in corporate power um, for good. And the way to do that is to counter it with both government and labor power. We need government and labor to be on equal footing with these corporations as they were decades ago. And so that really means passing things like the PRO Act, which is all about ensuring um, the right to unionize and increasing the power of unions in the United States um, and then ideally uh, around the world as well. Um, We need to enforce antitrust laws and really reduce corporate concentration by making sure those markup players don't have as much power as they do at the moment and level the playing field so that other competitors can come in. And lastly, we need to get corporate money out of politics because that is what is preventing us from having good policies moving forward. Thank you so much for helping us sort through all of these different issues that are affecting all of us really as consumers, as people, and thinking about what some of the solutions are. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. 
if it's your first episode listening to Equals, we've got a whole range more. And coming up in our next episode, actually, we're going to be getting a sense of how this at cost of living crisis is playing out for folks around the world. We're going to be speaking to a school teacher in Malawi. We're going to be speaking to a security guard in London and really getting their sense of how this is playing out for them. It's the start of our season where we're going to be coming back to this story of the cost of living crisis. So thanks everyone for joining us today. Do subscribe, do share it with your friends and uh, and your networks. Thank you. Mm-hmm.